Yo, welcome to the No Ideas Original Podcast featuring Shanam, Mr. Rob, and Zane. Yo, we got a dope episode today. What's up, Rob? How you doing? Yeah, yeah, yo. By the by the way, I spoke to Zane today. Uh, yo, happy birthday! It's his, his birthday is yeah. coming up, so he he getting involved with some uh, pre-birthday shenanigans this weekend. And if you know Zane, then you know he uh, he gonna have a good time. Shout out to Zane. Shout out to his his man B side. I already know how they gonna celebrate that. Man. For real, for real. So we get him on the next one. But yo, we got a dope episode tonight. We got in the house. But wait a minute, before I even say his name. You know, I was I was kind of running down and I was thinking about like just the different list of people or producers that we have fortunate enough to participate um in, in our podcast. Right? Even know your legends, and this dude is a legend. Yo, so we had so far we had Baby Paul um pulled up, we had the Heat Makers pull up, we had um Ron Browse, we had Lord Finesse, we had um Straight Bangers, we had Q Ball, we had the great Ayatollah come through and today we are fortunate enough to have mr chop diesel in the house what's good bro how you doing what's going on brother happy to have you y'all was i was saying backstage you know that's 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 a nice little flex he got the gold plaque in the back you know i'm 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 feeling that like yo i i don't do music but if i did i would aspire to have a couple of those plaques on the wall he politely told me i got a few other ones too that i haven't put up yet yes indeed yes indeed yo so let's let's um let's get right into it let's start off talking about how you got into music like what was it that made you decide that you wanted to rap or be a producer um well i I started out originally um, as a rapper that was my the way I thought I would want. Oh, I think you froze up, bro. You might got a call coming in, probably. Young, what's good? What's good, P? What's good, bro? Got it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Got, yeah, if you got a call coming in, it's going to make it interrupt. So you got to probably put your phone on Do Not Disturb. Uh, um, I don't think I got a call. My phone. It should be on. on Do Not Disturb. Okay. All right. There shouldn't be nothing coming in. Um, it just kind of went out. But uh, yeah, like I was saying, I um, I started out I was a rapper. You know what I mean? Um, and that no time we said an MC, we didn't say a rapper. But you know what I mean, <laughs> I was an MC. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, and uh, it was just you know where I'm from, originally from Jersey City, New Jersey. You know, it was like we, we was introduced to a lot of the, the earlier. Rappers and, and groups in that time period, like the, you know, the projects. I'm from a project called Dungeon Projects in Jersey City, and uh, we had like some of the who's who at that time from Dougie Fresh, Kumo D, uh, Phyllis Floor. Okay. And um, then our own locals, uh, Sweet Chicken Sly, Frank Alive, and Three. Those those guys were like constantly around doing block parties and performing, and um, I caught the bug from that. You know what I mean? Nice, nice, nice. You good, Sean? Yeah, I'm good, good. Yeah, so hey, you, you linked up with 45 King during that during that period. Yeah, that was um I had a I had a homeboy that knew Double J, who was one of the original uh flavor unit members in the MC. Right. And um, yeah, I was maybe like 16, 17, and locally my name started to get a lot of attention, so I had a little demo running right. in. <laughs> it got the dub, dub heard it. I remember he met, you know, 
I, I did. I mean, I don't really look like a rapper now, but at that time, I definitely didn't. Look, I didn't have a rapper starter kit. So. He like, yo, that's your voice, that's you, and I'm standing in like got the little round glasses, little dirty glasses, little queens under the dreads and everything, but um, the little locks, and um, and he didn't believe it was me on the tape, so he made me rap right there. He's like, yo, I'm gonna take you to 4510, and at right. the time, you know, I'm 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 in my own arrogance state. I'm like, yeah, that's cool, but I'm, I'm signing the death game. I signed. I don't know what you're talking about. 45 King, that's cool. But I'm signing the Russell Simmons. I'm going to be with LL. That's where my mind was at. But fortunately, maybe like a couple of weeks later, he came and picked me up. And we went to 45 King. I was like, that was it. I was I was blown, blown away. I went to his house. I mean, you go to his house and the who's who would be there. It would be crazy. Like, you right. going there one day, might be Diamond D there. It might be... Right. might be there, Kane might right. be there, Biz might be there, everybody, like, he's been working with everybody, and so I got a chance to rap for him, and get him cycles with, with some of the other MCs, Apache, rest in peace, my own way, uh, Apache, Chill G, a lot of them we were cycling, I'm, I'm, I'm a kid, literally, and I'm rhyming right. with them, and so he was impressed, so kind of offered me a situation at the time, I mean, I wasn't really business savvy, but I mean, just what what my ideas of what I thought I should be getting wasn't mm-hmm. in that agreement that he gave me. So I was mm-hmm. like, nah. <laughs> nah. You, 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 re- you remember what that agreement looked like? Yeah, and, and we we was we was on clubhouse like maybe like about a few months back in a room with Forty Five King, and he remembered, and I was like, yeah, it was, it was bad. You know, again, I don't hold nothing. I don't hold nothing. So even later on in life, you know, we, we we used to connect with production, and I would try to plug in with people and different things. I ain't hold nothing to them because, again, all of us was really, you know, we coming up. This is the early stages. We're talking about 1989. Yeah, yeah. Like these That's deals, that. that was standard deals. So mm-hmm. it was crazy, you know, but it was what it was, you know, at that time. So and everybody was just kind of learning and getting their foot in. So I never really held it to them. I, I don't really think he knew what that contract was. You know, he just mm-hmm. got a deal, some big money from Warner Brothers. And literally, he was just, just really trying to put people on and help people out. Trying to get artists. So what, what was it like, one of the standard, like, slave-type deals where you were signed for seven that, albums? Bro, it was, bro, exactly, I'm not lying. It was, it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was 13 albums. Damn! He, he had to produce. 50% of every album. And these, first of all, it was this, it was two singles with an option, but the option was automatic. Like, it would kick right in if they picked mm-hmm. it up, if Warner Brothers picked up right. the option. And then, you know, he had to produce half the At the time, I mean, who wouldn't want him to produce half the album? But, yeah, you know, he, at that time, which is kind of peanuts now, but at that time, he was getting, like, 25 a beat, 30 a beat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So... He, he didn't eat up half my, my budget's gone. You know, at that time, they was giving out like 80,000 all in album budget. So yeah. It wasn't yeah. like the 250s and the 300s. And now, you know, they got open budgets. Now you can record till you can't. Wow. Till you finish. Till you tired. Yo, you know what's crazy about that though? At a young age, you had the wherewithal to, to see that contract and be like, nah, it's not for me. But it's still dudes that's like 20 something, 30 years old signing these. Look at the same deal today and we'll look at that and sign that just to say they got a deal. Well, also, I had an older brother. Now I got a few older brothers, but I had one of my older brothers, my oldest brother. Um, he wasn't in the music per se like that. He, was, he could sing, but he was like really like into the business of it. So he used okay. to get like. Uh, he, like the first he bought bought a book which I snatched up the uh, I think it was the one Kashif wrote it either 
all you need to know, everything you need to know about the movies industry. So that was around, like in, in my presence, um, then just articles, different things that I would see, and I was seeing other people's deals and what they were doing. So even though I didn't know what I should be getting, I just knew that wasn't it, you know what I'm Right. Because it was worse than, it was worse than what some of those guys were like. Latifah had a, you know, they was able to renegotiate later on. Mm -hmm. but she had a, at that time, she probably had like a all-in $80,000 budget. But things was different then because yeah, yeah. they wasn't paying all of these different producers. He was at one studio. Yeah. Probably you would be mm -hmm. self-contained, making yeah. the music yourself. So Damn. it didn't cost that much to do a lot of things. But I mean, it was peanuts. It was just peanuts. It was, yeah. it, was it, it was bad. 13 albums, that's that's a killer right there for the uh, Yeah. 13? Let me ask you, is that is that what gave you the producer bug? You are like, I want to do that. I want to do a 45 or something. Nah, what happened was, while I was going over there, even like I said, I had a demo. So we was like, me and my, my homeboys, we was like kicking around, with, you know, getting records. I didn't even know that I was called producing at the time. You know what I mean? I, we were just bringing records to the studio and, and it was a funny story is I did a whole project, like a little demo, and I remember I came back to 45 k house and I, and I played him the demo. He was like, he, yo, he had the straightest face, no expression, no, he just was like, oh yeah, that's horrible. Um, <laughs> and just, and he was right. I mean, the production at the time, we didn't know what he was doing, so. Right. We was putting sounds together that didn't match drums. It was like sloppy. He was like, all well, the raps are good, but the music is horrible. So mm. he didn't, he never sat me down directly and taught me how to do anything, but just his critiquing, you know, in that moment and also just watching him and asking little things. And he would give me little advice like, you know, take, you, you know, for the, for the hook, you might want to sample some horns and then put the horns to separate the verse from the hook. Um, you might want to have some changes going in and out, put a guitar part of you know, and make sure it's all Sequencing. we didn't know about it. Yeah, and we didn't know about it being in key, melodic, we were mm -hmm. just doing, trying stuff and whatever work and stuff we, we went with, but he, he definitely opened my eyes. And so I started getting a little better at it. So my second mm -hmm. go around of doing this demo, I kind of had a better idea of what to do and what I was doing. Um, and, and that demo, at that time, I can't remember the guy's name, but I know it was at Warner Brothers. We had shot the, the demo there, and we had like five or six songs. And ironically, he asked my manager at the time, like, yo, um, would they be interested in doing like, at first he asked who produced it. And like I told you, I didn't even know if it really produced it was. I knew what Mark did, but I didn't mm -hmm. feel like I did it because when we went to the studio, I just gave the engineer the record yeah. and told him what I wanted. I thought that if I didn't physically do it, right. I wasn't producing yeah. it. So I didn't know, so so the dude was like, uh, I want to say it was Kurt Woodley, if I'm not mistaken. I think his name was Kurt Woodley, and he was like, man, they wanted to sign up as a producer. And I was offended, because you know what I'm saying? I'm in rapper mode, <laughs> Him wanting to sign me as a producer, I'm like, what is he talking about? Like, I'm a rapper, I'm an MC. Like, so I took it offensive, like, man, I'm not signing, you want me to do beats for other people, or you tripping? So I was I was bugging, and at the time, you know, hindsight I knew better. Yeah, you know, I learned to know better. But at that time, I was like, I, I was bugging. Yeah, because I, I wanted to be the started. I thought the started show was the MC. So mm. I, I, I literally turned that opportunity down. They didn't offer any other type of deal, so I just went, you know, went on working on the records, and we eventually stopped putting records out. And everything that we did as a collective, we would produce the songs together. Mm -hmm. But I, I kind of took it a little more serious and started to carry on the whole calling myself a producer and trying to actually pursue producing. Yeah, that's right. dope. Go ahead. Yeah, bro. 
Let me ask you this. It, you just said something that I find to be very interesting. You was talking about prior to you getting like the formal know-how in terms of production, how it was just about like pulling sounds together and whatever you thought sound good. And I was saying this to Austin, this from the Heat Makers before. One of the things I think that really hinders people's production is theory. Like I think a lot of dudes get so bogged down in the mathematics, for lack of a better word, of the construction of the beat like oh no this beat needs this this beat needs that but the dudes that have been brilliant in our time is dudes like look at a rizza like rizza a loop a beat the loop be off the sample mm -hmm. sound dirty or whatever it is yeah, and he's yeah. just going by going by feel feeling right so how does yeah. as a as a producer after you get theory down down pack and you understand like all right a hi-hat i need hi-hats throughout the whole beat need snare i need this i need that how do you move away from theory once you become a, this great producer to just go back to feel like yo this feels good this sounds right and it may not have all those mathematical elements that we supposed to hear in a beat i think for especially for me my my gift in my curse is that I, I don't really know music theory i understand how to put music together i always brought in like you know, when we formed our production team, to this day, I still work with when I, when I am working on beats and stuff. I still work with a partner, and he's a producer as well, but he's a musician. Mm -hmm. um, and he's Shout one of the rare producers. Yeah, he, he's one of the rare, and uh, Joey Lightfingers. He's one of the rare musicians who can produce. Because a lot of times, because mm -hmm. like you just said, when you have all of that theory and all of that logic and understanding this, and this key doesn't go with that, and this note don't, it kind of, you know, limits your creativity because you're trying to work within those parameters. But I mean, if you did that, then you wouldn't have jazz. If you did that, you wouldn't have James Brown. You wouldn't have mm -hmm. a, a lot of musicians who didn't really go off of music theory per se. Like the musicians, if you've ever seen a doctor on James Brown, those musicians, some of them was trained and they was like, you bugging. The stuff he was telling them to do, they was like, nah, that's, that's that ain't gonna work. It's not gonna work, but right. he's gonna fulfill He didn't care because he couldn't read music. <laughs> he just went up yeah. what felt good. Oh, yeah. That's right. Joey, what's yeah. up? What's up, Yellow? How you doing? Yeah, man. So, all right, so at this point, you're a producer. So, what? How did you end up with the joint venture with, with Urban Wolf? At that point, I guess you got you, you hold your craft at that point. Yeah. Well, well, what locally I felt like we was doing, you know, from being a, a local rapper, a local celebrity, on um, putting right. out records and stuff, I had a lot of attention. So. I felt like we was working with all of the who's who within the city. And then, you know, the connection with Slavery Union and all that. So we was working with who's, the who's who locally. And it was right. like, we have reached our, our, our ceiling with that. So I, I, I don't even really, really remember. And Urban, Urban Woods in the team actually was, a, a, uh, was two people. was a uh, guy, Greg Trapman, who actually helped discover DMX. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and he, he's been eliminated on a few documentaries, but he has like, real proof evidence you know what i mean um and we actually was a rough guy at a point because so i know the relationship like he really helped find dmx and bring him to him um he discovered tony dofat another producer um mm -hmm. jesse West, a lot of people jesse west jesse no, west, jesse west a lot of people so he he was instrumental in that as well as another guy named damian blotter like i i love you know we didn't all end out 
and up still cool. Me and G, right. Greg, we're still cool with. And you know, we had our, our differences, but I still like to give those people props because they help us as part of the journey. I don't like exclusion. People, I watch interviews and people leave people names out. That's right. Mm-hmm. To me, I was yes, like, they sir. were a part of the journey, so you got to give them their props. And he did a lot. He did more good than bad for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In, in, in my career. So, um, and, and that was Damian Blyden. Damian Blyden uh, was Heavy D's cousin. He named his Pete Rock, uh, AZ. Um, I think of some some other people that he did, but those were like the the bigger ones. He worked with a lot of people within the industry and our Motown and our Universal. So they were right. both of them were instrumental, and they he actually helped out Trackmaster when he was working with Head. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the connection. He had a great relationship with literally the entire music. I mean, just like a he knew everybody. So when we linked with those guys. At the time, it was four of us that the production team became together, and um, we were called the Dream Team. And all four of us had like a unique style. And, and the guy, uh, uh, Damien, the OPO, everybody called him on, he, he, he he's had a mouthpiece. He was swift. So he'd go places and be like, man, I got Black Primo, uh, Pete Rock, <laughs> the Wizard, everybody jerking, everyone one production team, bro. You need them. You got to get rid of them. So he talked us into that track management meeting to be honest it's like he knew them those guys had a great relationship and at the time he had Ali Vegas so he brought Vegas. Ali yeah. he brought Ali Vegas to us um, we produced his music and then they went back in I think track masters had already wanted to sign him like he had no demo no nothing he just was in the office rapping and they wanted to sign him so my bright idea was if they want to sign him the way for us to go from being local is we're going to do everything that all the music that he's rapping on is going to be our music Whenever they mm. play it, wherever he goes and plays his music, it's going to be something we did. And it right. worked in our favor. So when they was going to those meetings, it was like, well, who did this beat? Who did that beat? Oh, that's Doc. Oh, that's the Dream Team. Oh, that's Joe. Oh, that's... And so it automatically started to, the name started to travel and, and circulate. So and yeah. And so by the time we went up there to meet those guys, we um we went to, I, I'll never forget, they was up there. They was actually working on a remix for Black, the group Black. It was a remix for a song called Boom yes, Like a And um, we walked in on our session, they stopped it, we played a few, uh, you know, a few tracks, and they was like, yo, we want to give you a, a, a song there. And so again, like I got to tell you, my man with his mouth, he, he's like, let's pull them. Because I think they originally said like a 10 song deal. He was like, it's four of them. He's like, okay, we'll give each one of them a 10 song deal. So they gave us a 40 song deal. Wow. Right there on the spot. It was a no. Wow. That's why I say to people when people be like, oh, uh, so and so trying to sign me or this label's interested. Bro, it happened like they wanted it. They wanted to do it. The next day, business affairs was contacting our attorney. We got paperwork. Mm. And it was, we was on. And then the deal with the, uh, the production deal for Ali came like within that same time frame. It was just Ali was a minor at the time. So we had to go through courts and. Yeah. A whole bunch of BS to really get that done. So our deal got done faster than his, but it was all part of the same situation. There, there's so many underrated, like you mentioned Jesse West, and that just brought me back. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I used to follow Jesse West so much just from his rhyme skills. Then I found yeah, out, yeah. just I found out he was a producer. Was it blew my mind? Yeah. Let me let me he just ask you this before we move forward. Who are, who are the most underrated producers in your opinion? Who deserve their flowers? And Jesse West is man. I'm like, no one talks about Jesse West. Um, no. Jesse West is definitely one of them. I'm in my mind right now. It's, it's a few people that I think Dink don't get the 
the props he deserves. He gets mentioned from time to time. But he don't get the props he deserves. Um, Domingo, head. Domingo is dope. Domingo is nice, yeah. Domingo is nice. Um, you see, it's a lot of people, bro. Uh, what's wild? Well, a oh, lot of the, a lot of the, I mean, I don't really feel like they get their product. Like the, the whole digging in the crate, they created a, a dope Talk sound and a dope that. Talk yeah, about that. That sound, problem. that sound has coined the boom bap, and not only just the boom bap, but. The way they sample, and I and I love the way you sample too. But you also taught me something. Listen to one of your, I think it was your EPK, your EPK when you talked about sampling. But then it's not just sampling. Musicians, this musicianry and all that that goes into that yeah. mm-hmm. quality oh, music. But when I listen to Showbiz, when I listen to Diamond, when I listen to Buck, oh. when I listen to the production. I'm like, yo, son, it's not just pots and pans. There's some other shit going on in that music that I love. Which oh, coined yeah. for me that Bronx sound. I love hearing that that digging in the creek sound. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you back. You back. Yeah. You back. Man, a popular thing that we hear people talk about a lot is is ghostwriting. And I was just thinking about when you mentioned um track masters. Have you had an experience, any experiences with ghost production? Cause there's a lot of dudes and a lot of stories of brothers <laughs> who had heat come into like some of the bigger names and before you know it you know a kanye track all of a sudden is a d-dot track or pharrell's um, track is a teddy riley track or so what's your thoughts um, on ghost production um I, again in my situation like i told you dude yo uh he wasn't letting nobody do, do that so he had enough respect that when he got us with track masters we didn't go through that um I, it's it's two levels to that. Kanye wasn't a ghost producer. Like that's not to me. I don't I don't consider because he got credit. He was credited. Right. But a lot of what people don't understand is, like I just said, I, I don't have to physically make the beat. That's only one side of the production. You know what I'm right. saying? Making a beat is one side of it. The, most of the records that you see that people be like, oh, I didn't get I seen something with self-service, couple of things. He's somebody that's underrated, bro. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that um, if someone takes their beat and goes in the studio with the artist and put the record together, they're a producer. Mm-hmm. It's only foul when you don't credit the person who made the beat. Because you know I mean? that's only one element. It's no different than, you know, if you listen to records from back in the day. The producer didn't play all of those instruments to make the bed of music that you're listening to. Yeah. He didn't create right. those, that music. He's not the bass player, the drummer. He's not... You know, most of those musicians got paid a fee to be a, a union musician to come in here and play, unless they was actually a part of the group. Mm-hmm. Other than that, they hired musicians, they got paid a flat fee, and someone orchestrated that. Quincy Jones is not playing the trumpet and strings and a synth on off the wall thriller. No, yeah. so he's still a producer. But I think where it's just messed up in some instances is that when they don't give that person credit. Um, but most of the most of the stories are stink. I'm gonna keep it real. Just when you really look into it, it's a it's a great headline. It's a great you know it's clickbait. But a lot of this stuff, these stories, when you really get down to it, it's not, like I know for a fact that Teddy Riley didn't work, uh Pharrell. Um, you know he didn't take anything from him. You know musically they were credited. Same thing, Bink was credited. If you ask those guys, they'll never say nothing crazy because they never was taking advantage. 
Yeah. They weren't, they weren't, but that's the ongoing story for a lot of this stuff. But it's just like, with anything, when all of the bad stuff pops up, you know, that's promoted instead. But when, it, you know, when, when he, somebody does an interview with Pharrell, he would never tell you Teddy Riley. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't, he wrote his rap on Rump Shaker. Yeah, yeah. Yo, like, that definitely know. is. There definitely is a difference between a beat maker and a, and a producer. And a to producer. me, a beat maker is like a dude who could, you could get in front of a machine. Hell, you don't even need a machine these days. You could write on your laptop, you know, people can make a beat. But to me, a producer is somebody who actually understands song structure that works with the artists around. Yo, you need a hook here. Maybe you need to have a bridge. Maybe you need this. Maybe you need that. Example, hello? Uh, yeah, we here. Yeah, you froze again. Yeah, he froze, he froze up. But yeah, there's a lot of dudes that could make, they could make a hell out of a beat, but when it comes time to actually produce a record, yeah, not everybody's a producer. Some not dudes are beat makers. So, so I'm gonna I'm use this as an example. So you would call 45 King a producer or a beat maker? Beat maker. I would, you know what? I would probably say a beat maker, but I think that his, I think that's almost like his niche to be a, to be like a beat maker. Yeah. But, but he's credited as a producer as well on a lot of records. It just depends. He froze up again. He'll come back. If you haven't already, hit the like button, everybody. Like, subscribe, and share, good people. Did it cut out? Yeah. Oh, Joe, Joe, okay. Joe Lightfinger said, my six-year-old is making beef. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, go ahead. We should finish what you were saying about um, no, 45 King. I was saying 45, exactly. So 45 King wasn't in the studio producing Stan. He wasn't in the studio producing wow. Hard Knock Life. He gave, right. he gave, they gave him, they bought, and he was good for that during that time period. He did those records, put them on the reel, they paid him, and they went and did what they did. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, but I was, Puffy, get that Puffy, Puffy done got a whole team. <laughs> of people but, shit but, but, yeah but those guys were credited they on there produced by Carlos Brody produced by Nancy right. Myrick CBJ mm -hmm. he's just a co-producer he's Young the Lord. orchestrator he's the right. Quincy Jones Young Lord yeah, exactly right. yeah Young Lord dope another dope another yeah, dope another dope yeah um, so I mean I'm just it, if, if it's a like with anything it just gotta be actual I don't, I'm, I don't either way if that's your way in you know what I mean? That's your way in. Some people, just like ghostwriters, I know, I know some ghostwriters. I know, you know, people who penned a lot of stuff for people, and that was their way in. If you mm -hmm. sign, just like an agreement, if you sign an agreement, like I said, if I signed that agreement with Forty Five King at that time, and that was the deal I took, and I, I can't be mad at him. Yeah, I signed it, even though I was a kid. But, but I, I, you know, I would have, I, I still had to go to an attorney. I still, and look, you know what's ironic? The first attorney, this is to let you know, people, why you're supposed to have entertainment department. When he gave me that contract, I was running around with some street guys at the time, like a couple dollars. So they had a criminal attorney. <laughs> they took it to a criminal attorney. We sat in the and he said, oh, yeah, this is nothing to sign. It's, it's good. It's good. It's, it's just a regular contract. And call me if you ever need, need help when you get locked up. Yeah, because I'm going to have to kill somebody, somebody and I'm going to need you. Yeah, I'm going to kill somebody and need you to get me out. Yo, you, you would have still been in that deal today. <laughs> yeah, this was 89. I'd have been out. I'd have been out. But yeah, I mean, LL's deal was 13 out. I worked on his last album for Def Jam was 13 out. Wow. 
He Damn. did all of them. Exit 13, that was his last album. He definitely did all of them. Yeah, you, you, you as a songwriter, who have you lent your imagination to? On what song have you attacked being called? Writing for people, uh, hmm. some of it was used, a lot of it wasn't, but I, I still was. I worked with a lot of people, I worked on records for a lot of people. Um, I wrote some stuff for Teddy Riley. A lot of this stuff didn't, you know, a lot of this stuff didn't come out. More the production, well, pretty much right. a lot of the production came out. Also, if you look on my, in my, in my discography and in my bio, I didn't mention the one person I've always wanted to work with, and I did a record with him without, this was during the time when, uh, you know, they stopped, not to stop, but they weren't adamant about having the producers in the studio with like sending files and all of that stuff. Yeah. And, um, it's a crazy story when uh, Jay-Z signed or did the deal with Nas to Death Jam, me and Joey produced a record called I Know I've Been Changed that was supposed to be their first record together. Wow. Yeah. I yeah. need to hear that behind the scenes, bro. I need, I need to, to hear it. I need to hear the beat. I need to hear the beat. Oh, I got the beat, yeah. We still got the beat. <laughs> I got the contract. I got the agreement, everything. But they, um, they, and it was, a, it was an ill story because that same beat traveled through different people. Like DMX had it. At the time, um, um, Puff had it. That's how Nas heard it. Nas had wrote a song for Puff. It was when he was doing that Press Play album. Okay. Um, it was either that or Last Train to Paris. But in the middle of him creating it, he went in another direction. But Nas had to get some writing for him. And that actually, it was a record with, uh, it was Nas. And he wrote it and Keisha Cole was singing the chorus. Wow. And um, that record actually leaked. It's online. But if you listen to Nas' verse, you can tell he's rapping. It's a reference to Puff. Right, but it's, it's online. I do have that, but the Jay Z Nas record, I, I wish I had it. And that was that was gonna be that would have been crazy. I bet they swapped it out for uh, Black Republican, and then yeah. got lost in the shuffle after that. And that's a killer joint too, right? Les, that's my man too. Oh yeah, yeah, I like I like I like Les. Yo, the the politics of the industry could be frustrating for a creator. Is it is it different? in terms of politics for a producer versus a rapper like is it easier to navigate as a producer um i would say politics but it's a little different like it's uh you definitely don't want to send people you gotta kind of bite your tongue kind of gotta you know move so it's i guess the politics of it is still the same but i think i think a rapper has more to lose because they're you know more in the the forefront and um you know, it, it, everything is predicated on an image. So they gotta like dance around and play a lot. And that's another reason too, why I kinda, cause I was still literally rapping when we got our production mm. and we got out there. I just saw what was going on. Right. And it was like, yeah, I, kill, it was, I definitely would have to kill somebody. Cause it was just a lot of things that I was like, this ain't it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I couldn't, I can't subscribe to that. I'm not really built that way. I'm, I'm really like, what I say I do, it's a lot of that that's, you know, crazy right. within the industry. People just don't keep their word. You know what I mean? Or yeah. based on the circumstances of where you at today, where you at tomorrow, it's just so wishy washy. Like, if I'm cool with you, I'm cool with you. Mm. Like, I have friends that's in the relationship and the music industry that I still have a relationship with. We're still cool. And it didn't matter who's hot, who cold. We just kept it moving from artists to producers, everything. But right. there's a lot of politics where you gotta, you know, they kick some ass and, oh, this is the new hot guy now, so I can't yeah. really rock with you right now. I'm doing. And those things, I think everybody suffers from now. I just think artists, 
more so because uh, you know, like I said, they got to be in the forefront. Behind the scenes is easy to do that for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To navigate with it, I just don't subscribe to it. Do something else. A lot of creators tell us though that the music business soured them on even making music. Like it sucked the passion out of them. You know, they yeah, like, yeah. I don't even want to create no more because I got to deal with the the business aspect of it. Tell us the first business lesson you learned when you got in the game. Um, I think, uh, well, the 45 Kingdom was probably the first one, but I don't even really <laughs> say like, a lot of my friends and people around me, they'll tell you, I feel like everything I did up until we got that deal with Trackmaster, and we signed the actual deal and we were in the buildings and doing stuff. I feel like every it's like was like elementary and high school and college. Right. And then I think we went to the gotten the pros when we did that. So I really only count from there. That deal, I I had a lot of experience from before with the different things, being independent, learning, you know, the whole you know, how to distribute records and all I started learning that. So going into it with a major, I think um one of the, the first things I started to really see, like, is real cutthroat. They don't, they really don't care. You know what right. I mean? It's, a, it's always just about a bottom line for most of them. And um, we learned it fast. And I was able to, because I had some experience, I was able to test the waters very early for certain things. Like I said, you know, me and some of my business partners in the beginning, we kind of fell out of the things that we, I didn't know, as much as I thought I knew, I didn't know anything about publishing. So I'll give you, I'll give you this one scenario, right? That um, um, uh, my publishing, we, we worked. I, I just tell you how I interpreted how publishing works in, in mechanics. I thought if an artist doesn't sell a whole lot of records, whatever we got paid up front, that's it. We don't see any more, mm. right? But I didn't know that the way I recoup is different than the artist and even if the artist doesn't sell a lot of records but they don't spend a lot of money on them he could recoup early and there's money there to be paid out even if something doesn't go gold or platinum so it was an album we two albums we worked on and there was some some publishing money that was out there sitting and somebody collected it I'll leave all the names names. somebody collected the money on our behalf got the bread and when I found because I, I didn't even know it existed and it was like God how I found out I was actually going around trying to do um, see if I can get like somebody to advance me on like future publishing and future royalty mm-hmm. and I was cool with some guys um, from Sugar Hill uh, Music and Publishing which okay. rest in peace my homeboy uh, Stiff he passed away which was Sylvia Robinson and Jerry Robinson yeah 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 a lot of history Leland, yeah Leland Robinson me and Leland, Leland my dude um, so I went over there to talk to them about some stuff and they kind of gave me some insight on some things that was going on. And that's how I got put on to what was going on and where the money was at. Wait, and let me ask you, let me not to cut you off, but really quick, let me ask you. So in this circumstance, you still were the rightful owner to your publishing. You didn't? Yeah. You, okay, okay, all right. Yeah, so right. it was collected on my behalf because, you know, people we were dealing with was working at the label. It was crazy. They were working at the label. I mean, I had a, a crazy suit. I could have sued, you know, Rose through everything because they should have never given this person access to my phone at exactly. all. And um, and so we had an issue behind that. We got it resolved. I'll just say that I got the money back, but it took some time, took some pressure, and some muscling to get it right. I didn't leave it at that. But I wound up getting the money back. But that was like my first 
seeing somebody that could be around you in your face dealing with you and with skill. And it wasn't a small amount of money. You right. Know what I mean? And and at the time I just had a baby. It was you know, it was crazy. So that right. I needed it. Right, right. right. <laughs> it wasn't just that right. it, I, I really needed it. You know, and that's the other misconception people have. These advances, especially when we started out, our advances wasn't you know, crazy. Like we started probably getting like five grand, we went up to seventy five hundred. 10 grand, I maxed out at like 20 grand at the height of what we was doing. Yeah. So at that time, we wasn't getting that much money. So the advance money was not crazy. So even though we're getting all of these placements, you know, and how it works is you get a first half, second half. And we sample based producers, so well, I was within the team. So did you not get. Oh, he froze. We got to hear this. We got to hear this part about yeah, how the yeah, sample yeah, yeah. works. This one. <laughs> Gonna wait on this one. Hello? Yeah. Yeah. We're here. We're here. Yeah, we yeah, yeah. yeah, you were saying you're a sample based producer, so because yeah, I always wonder producer. how that works. Yeah, so when you do those records, you're not getting, I mean, nobody's really getting paid up front and full. They're gonna pay you a first half. Mm-hmm. Once you complete the record, mix it, master, sample's clear, then you can request your back end. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of times we operate more for front end, there was no back end. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Until the record's done. And you know, back then they worked on albums. They knew two years, six months, a year before they yeah, figured yeah, out. Yeah. And they wasn't really putting music. Like today, they'll put records out as soon as they make it without the sample clears and all kinds of stuff. Back then, they wasn't really doing that. They get everything done before it goes out. You know what I mean? So yeah. the process was going out. So, you know, in those times, man, needed that bread. Yo, Bismarcky set the precedence, though, I think, for people actually taking a time to actually get them samples cleared but a question i have as it relates to sample clearance so let's say you are a heavy sampler right and it costs x amount of dollars whatever it is to get it cleared does that impact your back end um depends on nah, that's a lesson i learned too uh because i was so comfortable with the relationships and the people we were working with and prior it never did but as the industry started to change, some of the artists who doing these records for they go, normally we need to split the sample fee and the cost, or it would be within the budget, or, you know what I mean? Then as time started to go on, the artists would be like, yeah, well, you gave me the beat with a sample on it. You picked it, though, but I gave it to you. I think a fair negotiation was we split the cost of it. Some of them would be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, your beat, you got, it got to come out of your end. And if you don't account for it in the budget, this is what happened to me. I had an attorney that was kind of just, I'm paying, he getting money, he wasn't really paying attention, and he slipped up, and he let something stay in there. Damn attorney. Damn, he froze up. It better not be that criminal attorney that did this. <laughs> right, son. That criminal yeah, attorney. I, I, yo, but I've always wondered that, like for, yeah. for people that are like sample heavy, like how it impact. You froze up, but you said you had an attorney that that missed something. Oh yeah, yeah. I was saying the attorney he missed something in the agreement that basically said if we don't account for it in the budget. So like every record that's recorded on somebody's album, even though the whole album has a budget, each song has a budget. So the song, if you got samples, if you got producers, you got. Um, interpolations with you know you flip something that's yeah, not yeah. really a sample we played yep. you got singers session musicians all that you gotta account for all of that in the budget of that particular song but the producer I'm responsible to hand that in to the, to the label right so off of that paperwork I would put in okay the sample fees at that time you, mean, you might have to pay an upfront fee of like you know for the most part maybe somewhere between 10 
twenty-five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. You know what I'm saying? That's just like an upfront fee to start using the sample. Then they'll make money as the record makes money. You know what I'm saying? But but if you don't account for that in the budget, when it's time to pay for it, because they didn't allot for it, they're gonna make you eat it. You know what yeah. I mean? So it might be out of your back end. It might be from your future world because that's all your advances anyway. That's the other thing people don't understand. It's I'm an advance. It's called an advance. It's yeah. an advance on your future royalty. Right. It's not like they give you a bonus, a signing bonus. No, this yeah. is an advance, bro. Yeah. Yo, so so while while we while we here with one in music industry one hundred and one, can you um can you tell people the difference between publishing and now was pop was popular conversation masters? You hear that all over the place. Like oh, yo, yeah, I got yeah, my yeah. masters. Like, I need my masters. Those, those, are, those are two totally different things, right? Your publishing is your intellectual property. That's like if you if you create a composition of music, lyrics, whatever it is, that has a a writer share as a writer. And then there's a publishing share that, that's created. That's ownership of the intellectual property of the composition. The master, you know, now we're in a digital space where there's really no physical product, but the right. master would have been, back in the day, You're the real that everything was recorded yeah. on. Mm-hmm. And that would be the original masters and the owners and the labels that normally keep them. And that's how you reproduce it and have the original sound. Today, it's kind of hard to put it in words what it would be because it's nothing physical but mm-hmm. the, the total ownership of that said beat the lyrics the song that's put on there and the finished version of that song is the completed master mm-hmm. and that part of it even though a person who wrote the lyrics will still own their copyright as far as the lyrics and music and melody and the producer would, would own the same they won't own the, the total composition they won't own the finished record when you sign with a label because that's what you're doing you're creating that as a work for hire for them. Okay. And most contracts would say that sometimes, you know, as later years went on, people could get them back, they would record that. You could mm-hmm. re-record your music in seven years, stuff like that, or you'd have to buy it back. And, yeah. and that's another thing that I keep saying people, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on both sides of it because I understand the business of it, but I also understand the creative side of people feel like this is mine, I should own it. Mm-hmm. But if you sign the agreement that says I don't own it, <laughs> I'm letting you own it. You don't own it. Yo, we we talk we talk about that a lot too. Like that was like probably over the summer ongoing discussion we had. It seems like it comes up a lot in this podcast anytime an artist gets upset about the contract that they sign. And I look at it I look at it from from two ways. Like I look at it, you know, like you look at situations like a black rob or somebody like that. And then you look at his situation with Puffy and you like, yo, clearly Puffy probably profited far more than he did off of it, you know, off of his project. But the other part of it is kind of like, all right, when do we begin to take accountability for the contracts that we sign? Because like you said earlier, this information, this information has been around for a long time. I think they, I think there's a lot of taking advantage of people's situation in a sense of like, if we from the hood, we came from nothing. And somebody say, I'm gonna give you $50,000 to sign up front and then I'm gonna give you, I wanna purchase your publishing and I'm gonna give you X amount of $100,000 or whatever. To me, I look at that as a case is, this is somebody who potentially may believe in you more than you actually believe in you and you like, yo, I'm gonna take the bread up front because I don't know what potentially I'm gonna make on the back end. It's no different than if you go out and you go to finance a car and you sign a a, a crazy ass contract where your interest and all this shit is crazy or whatever it is and then later on you wising up and you like, oh shit, I didn't sign this I contract for this call exactly with crazy interest or whatever it is. You know, you could feel any kind of way about it, but it, to me, it's kind of like fair exchange 
you know and it, it's, it's up to people to, it's up to people to actually educate themselves about it and i think to be to to hold out to negotiate and to be understanding like in contractual situations you got to know that contracts are made for a reason right you're never going to get everything that you want and you have to think absolutely about what it is that you definitely want and what you need before you actually sign a contract but i don't really buy into people signing these deals and then later on have having bias remorse over the you, deals you, 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 you and me bro not to cut you off like i've been saying it for years like, I, I think within the last i'll say within since the internet i don't have no compassion for nobody that's in a messed up deal i'm just mm-hmm. being real pre-internet pre all of this information i could understand because it was literally hidden like it was right. hidden. like nobody in a book though hidden in a it's, book <laughs> nah, not, not just that it was hidden in a book even even like i said with the information within the book it it's just like a you go to people go to church everybody does people go to church you can mm-hmm. read the bible on your own right mm-hmm. but if you don't have some type of leadership to under, get an understanding of what you're reading it's, it's, it's just information it's just it like giving a, a 10 year old 12 year old 12th grade information it's just information without the guidance and knowing what to do so i think back then that didn't exist there wasn't a lot of mentors mentors there wasn't a lot of um people in position that was so you know confident in their and you know in their position that they would be willing to help everybody back then was like i know but i'm not telling you and mm. i'm going to use this to manipulate those who don't know that was the energy then now yeah. i don't believe that's why I, I don't really i'm just being real i say I ain't even gonna go far as that just the internet, but I say this information has been really, uh, really available. Every time I scroll down my timeline, I see stuff left and right, people talking, and that's what kind of even made me say, yo, I need to start putting this out there even more as well because I have a lot of information that I know people would maybe take from me because I actually did it. I actually uh, have lost games, all of that. I'm more of an right. example to really be able to teach it and tell it than just you seeing something online or for some middle-aged guy or somebody that's yeah. not really a part of the culture to that extent. So, yeah, I'm going to tell Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, so I was just saying, I just, I don't really have a, a real compassion mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as pity. I, maybe I should. I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you though I'm gonna tell you where where I kind of like I agree with the artist in some respect well I don't even know if it's agreeing with the artist but so here's the thing right mm-hmm. we we sort of created this cycle where you know you sign oh, somebody dude. you you sign a person right and then after you sign that person can y'all hear me yeah, keep talking. He froze. He froze. he froze. he froze up. So yeah, so we created this dynamic where you sign a person or you sign to somebody, that label takes advantage of you. That label will take advantage of you and rape you. You learn the business as a result of that rape, and then you sign artists and then proceed to rape that artist. The same and then thing. That artist gets fed exactly. up off of it, and then he and it is just cyclical. So in that respect, I think like if that whole dynamic is gonna change, it has to change as a result of an artist saying like now nah, i want to partner with you you know i want to empower you i want to teach you the business but people people are so scared or they figure out like yo this is just how the industry works right so now it's almost like become like standard practice that people believe that you sign a contract you know i gotta get jerked oh everybody gets jerked on their first deal or everybody gets jerked you know like but not nah, like we have to step in and put it put an into that like if we have this yeah. education you know or if somebody jerked us from experience right why are we gonna say yo this is how the industry works we gotta isn't, jerk these other set of people isn't that what they nah. do in production deals too <laughs> um 
What I mean, I'm gonna put it to you this way, right? A gun can be used for something good. It could be used for something bad, right? right? The creation of it might have been made for something good, but it can be used many ways. I think the production deal, the concept of it, was to kind of secure and you know, in the interest of the artists in a production company, because they are the ones doing the creative process, making the music. You know, even right. if they're not physically making it, but putting it together, working with the artists, developing them. And back in the days, that's what they would do. They do that and then put the records out themselves and then get either bought by a bigger label or do a deal with a bigger label. And that right. way, you know, I use the example of me and my homeboy had an argument about two weeks ago about the Mace Fabio thing, right? And interesting. And when you hear the concept of it, especially when you just hear the Fabio flung inside. It sounds extremely shady. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just hear his story. But when you hear all his story and put context to it and it starts making sense, then it, it, it doesn't, to me, doesn't seem as, it doesn't seem shady at all. It seems like a production deal that actually had the right to do, because he signed over his rights to do something mm-hmm. crazy and, and pretty much, you know, pause, rape them, do whatever they want to do to him because you signed for $5,000. Now, in Mason's defense, if I can sign you for five thousand dollars and you turn everything over to me, there's no way I'm allowing you to have control over how your deal goes when I go walk this into somewhere. I would never because I hundred percent correct. So I know you thirsty. So now, in that instance, he did what you're supposed to do: protect the artist's interest, go and facilitate a deal, and furnish the service. That we had. That was the first deal we had when Sony without without Vegas. We he signed to us. We had a 50-50 split. So the budget comes in, it's 50-50. Right. How everything is broken down is 50-50. We go get a big deal, and then we don't have to go back to the table and renegotiate because we already have a understanding. And that's kind of what Mace did. He just gave everything back. We didn't take all of those things at that time because, you know, that's not what we were doing. And plus, we are physical producers making the music. So I don't need your publishing because I'm going to have my own publishing on your record. Mm-hmm. That was something my lawyer used to always be like, Oh, you bugging. <laughs> I didn't never want to take artists, any percentage of artists on um, publishing because I felt like I didn't write the song. I didn't make, you know, I, I did the music and I'm already going to get it. But what he yeah. pointed out, and this was my one of my first understandings of how, how would I be able to run a business, a record label, a production company, and, and, and leave my artist creative side on the side because he said, mm-hmm. well, what if what if Timberland does the biggest, let, let's say you did half the album, let's say you did the whole album, but Timberland did one single and that one single blew out the water. You wouldn't really get anything. <laughs> so this is yeah. why we want to have some ownership. Now you help this guy start his career, you have do it, and now he's going to blow up this one record and you don't really benefit from that. There's other ways you can, but directly off that record you won't benefit at all sharing the profit of that record so then it made me reevaluate to say well hey if we do do anything we right. don't have to work out some type of agreement but I always made something clear that you know the art, I never was like this is what it is and there's no negotiation I just want PC or something outside mm-hmm. of what I do if I do it then I may get a smaller publishing um, cut if yeah. somebody yeah. else does it I'm definitely going to get a smaller one but if I'm doing you know you, you just negotiate and make it fit it was yeah. never no one way to do all of this anyway because nothing's standard to keep it a being. There's been stuff that's been normal practice over and over, but that's not that's not standard. That's mm-hmm. just people like keeping the same thing <laughs> moving and going. going yeah, but yeah. you can negotiate whatever you want. 
Yeah, and just because you keep doing it over and over again don't necessarily mean don't it's the right it. way. Exactly. You know? But I, I, I agree with you. Like, I think I looked at, I listened to Mace talk about the, the Fabio situation. I listened to Fabio's um, part of it also. And I'm, yo, if you sign for $5,000, that shows that you don't have the business acumen, you know, to actually walk into the label and negotiate the deal. And it seems exactly. like the deal that Mace negotiated for him working his favor. Yeah, worked in both of their favor. And then gave him everything that he signed over. Who would do that? Nobody. Yeah. Now, I did see the um, Gillian Wallow, and they said, Masters 2. He said, oh, that's another discussion we got. So I don't know what he did on that part. Yeah. Yo, but he gave him something. Half these dudes wouldn't have even given him that. Exactly. You you definitely want to go. If I already have it in my agreement, who's going to give it back? You know, so that was, to me, that was the play. I thought that was dope. And it made me look at him, you know, because I was like, how are you going to do some crazy stuff like that? He arguing. Now, I don't agree with his stance with fuck. I'm going to keep it real. I don't know what, how y'all feel on that, but I don't agree with his stance with fuck because fuck, his, him and fuck debate or they back and forth is about publishing, mm-hmm. right? So, again, if you do a deal, I think the biggest issue with all of these people's situations, like, a, like a, when the label has a person attached to it, that you can talk to or you build a rapport with, it, yeah. and you're, now y'all friends, it's always yeah. going to be a problem in business, always. Because yeah. I've never heard anybody say, you know, be on Instagram calling out the... Uh, uh, Tommy Mottola. Yeah, Tommy anybody Tola. that makes you see rings. I never hear nobody calling out these big wigs because they don't have a person. They're not going to the Hamptons with them. They're not chilling yeah. in the club with them. They're not getting in the shootouts. They're not nailing chicks with each other, you know, with them. So they don't right. have that rapport. But when something goes bad or goes sour, it's like, damn, Puff, yo, you, I'm your man, so you shouldn't even, you know, you should just give me it back. What yo, do you mean? Part of, part of it is, is, is that relationship. The other is the narrative that's been created with um, right. Puffy. Like, he's low-hanging fruit around this stuff. But I, I think the other thing also is I go back to, you know, if somebody believed in you more than you believed in yourself, you know, that that's that's... That's, you know, nobody wants to think of it that way because they're thinking about right there in the moment, like, yo, this dude gonna give me $100,000 for my publishing. Puffy has enough business savvy and acumen that he's thinking about in perpetuity. Like, I give him 100000 today. I could probably make millions of dollars down the road. If you haven't seen yet, look at the uh, million dollars worth of game with Cam. The million dollars oh, yeah, worth yeah, of game with Cam yeah. on it was a great episode. And Cam said that his attorney told him something about selling his publishing and cam was like nah you crazy i need to get the new bmw i want to get a crib yep. i want this yep. i want that and in that moment yeah. signed over signed over his publishing to get that check yeah. you see that's what i'm saying so, that was the thing man. it was the you get the signing bonus then they double back and hit you with the the, the publishing or buy your publishing and, and in a co-pub and like I, like I always try to explain to people exactly Cameron was what I've been saying for 20 years about this. When the locks was doing the whole let the locks go campaign, I said Cameron was a, I mean, he wasn't a 25 year old grown man, but he was a man, he was old enough to know, right? He, he, his mother didn't have to sign his contract. Uh, he didn't have to go to court to get a petition. He had an attorney and a manager. They informed him what he would be doing, and he said, Nah, nigga. Fuck I need that. the BMW. I need the BMW. That's exactly what what happens, and that's why I, that's the other reason why I was like, "Come on, bro. If it's explained to me, and then I I choose, like I told you, the deal that we had when we did the thing with Urban Woods to get the track matches and do it, we signed a deal that was kind of 
it was unfair in a sense, but I was willing to do it because I knew this was going to be my entry level to get in on a bigger level. And then right. we was able to, you know, figure it out and navigate through it. But I didn't care going in because I had an understanding. Now, you still in my publishing, and that money was different because you stole it. It's not a he took a piece or yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. part of the agreement and you got more than I got. You stole it. I, I didn't even know it existed. That's a total different situation than someone telling you, hey, I can give you this. Or, you know, you, well, I, I think the other problem is he didn't know what that meant anyway. He knew what money meant. He didn't know what publishing meant. That's so that's the bottom line. I know what this money going to get me. I don't even know if these songs are going to sell if I'm going to generate publishing. So I bet I just roll it back. Boom. And Yo, that's what most, me, most of them do. Let me, let me say this and then I'm going to let Rob jump in because I know I've been holding all the questions. But... Nah, go in, bro. I, yo, I, I've been recently asking a lot of people that we have on the podcast. You know, I, I I started off asking them, tell me when you knew that you actually had something. But I realized from that question, my new line of question is, tell me the first time that somebody else told you you had something. And I bring that question up is because I believe that execs, are probably seeing something in the artist that the artist may not see, right? Execs probably understand like, okay, you know what? This person has potential to sell millions of records or this person has the potential to be a bigger star than what they actually believe they're going to be. So I'm going to sign this. I'm going to get this person for their publishing now because they don't, they don't see their own potential, right? So I wonder when is the first time somebody came to you and actually told you, yo, you got you, you really have something that you can monetize. And um, did they tell you? I mean, like I said, in, in that time period, um, in regard to now and then, I think people were more, um, I think the executives, it came from music, so they understood a lot more. So everybody was telling you. If you were talented, they, they knew talent. Nowadays, I, I don't think so much is about the talent. It's solely they do research and it's just about numbers for the most yep. part but I think in that time period there were a lot of people that could pick talent I mean it was, it was a lot of talent there and I think um, I don't know I can't, I, if I had to say the first time would have been 45 King if I'm saying somebody that could actually do something because Double right. J saw me you know he wasn't in a position to do anything but bring me to 45 King at the time 45 King and Shaq King and La was, was it you know what I'm saying so I would say them, they did, you know what I mean? That would be like my first, but like I, like I said, I always like the count from when I started working in the building. And I do believe um, when we started working with, you know, more, you know, bigger artists and big, I think it just kind of put me, you know, in, in, in a place where I felt like everybody was telling me that. So it was no, like, no one pinpoint thing. Cause when they see money, it's everybody's, even, even if it's only for a moment, you know what I mean? Some people are going to cultivate you. Some people are going to... Like, I met a lot of people that was... Like I said, I still had that friends to this day that from those moments that believe more than just the check or what they can get at that time. So it, it's just different. But I, I mean, I, I do honestly say I lucked up with the people that I got put around. You know what I'm saying? I, I met some right. really great people and people that more so had my best interests at heart. I didn't really... Like I said, it's stories I heard. I worked with Puff. I didn't, I didn't get any of what a lot of people got. I worked with track masters. I didn't get what the other people got. You know what I'm right. saying? So I was just, I don't, I think they genuinely just rocked with what we was doing. And that right. was that. You yeah. know what I mean? So. Yeah. Wow. Yo, 
Who is the official dream team and how did your brothers get together? Mm. Well, the, the, we got phases of it, but I'm going to go with the original one. Um, it started out with me and my homeboy, Millicom. Um, we had a studio in Jersey City, we were working out a studio together. And it was really four different guys that um, were all producing individually. And we was kind of bringing people to each other's studio and working. And we just, me and Mill kind of just was the, the, the nucleus of it. And what right. we did was, um, we said, man, I always just understood a team would just be doper. Like, I always like, even if you look at Dr. Dre, Dr. Dre's a producer, that's the name, but he's always worked with a team of producers. You got a camp. The Bomb, yes, the bomb Squad has always been a team of producers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Trackmasters, even right. though it, even just Tone and Pope, it's way more than Tone and Pope. I don't know a lot of people don't know it, but it's, you know, it was uh, Frank Nitty. It was, uh, yeah. it was like four or five people, LES. It was other producers, so that's how you could hear those. You can hear uh, Street Dreams over here, and then you can hear Shootouts. Because mm-hmm. it's not the same person, you know, same people doing it. Yeah. They are other people, but Tone and Pope were the face, and they were the ones in the studio working and making those records with the artists. I can't say that. Um, but, uh, but so we kind of formed it from that way. Brought in my other homeboy, uh, Shabby. He was actually a DJ. And he started DJing for me when I was rapping. So we or hype, he started hype, being hype man. I had another DJ, Tashane, but we brought him in. And um, and then the last piece of the puzzle. It froze up again. Here we go. Damn, Joe, he, fr- he froze up before you got your shout out. I'm about to say, the last piece of the puzzle was Joey. Cut out. Yeah, the yeah. last piece of the puzzle was Joey Lightfinger. Yeah. At the time, his name was Big Joe. I never forget. I never forget. He's working at a studio. He came in working with an artist um, from the city, female mm-hmm. artist. And he, we, you know, we were just mainly hip hop producers. We didn't really have no R and B vibe, no nothing. He came in the studio, and he and, and we had a, a, a his cousin is a, a friend of mine um, that we knew for years. But he kept trying to get us together. But by chance, we got together another way. And he came to the studio that day. And I don't think I was there that first day he came. But when I got there after they left and Miller had played me what they did, I was like, who did that beat? He was like, yo, yo, uh, Red's cousin, yo, that dude's a beat, bro, to her. And we start talking, and I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, the next day they gave him a key to the studio. And then, <laughs> no lie, like, yo, bro, you working here. And then um, we just started working from there. He was the missing key. I think he sealed the deal because prior to that, Although we had different styles, we didn't have the R&B, so we wasn't a complete right. unit. When he came, he just messed it. Then it started to teach us a lot about R&B. We taught him a lot. We always crack on him now because back then he was like, he was on some hip hop and beneath him. Like, hey, I don't do rap. I don't do rap beats. He was on some Tom Mike, you feel me? So we crack on him now about it all the time. But he got a check one time. We did some records for some artists on Motown. He did like five or six records. They were all rap beats. I couldn't get that dude to do an R&B record for like two months. <laughs> he got them checks with them rap beats. That was like, oh, man. Who need another beat? Because he can make them like nothing. You know what I mean? They don't say He just poo poo So when he got that check, he was, he was off. And then we, we formed that. You know, throughout the years, we, we added um, my homeboy Matt came in. Um, we ultimately narrowed it and got back down to just me and Joe. And then we would bring certain people in to help us. The core of it over time was kind of me and Joe after a while. You know, right, I mean, right. you know, 
And is the artist Alexis Renee working with y'all? Is that your artist? Yeah, we we got a good vibe, like, bro. Yeah, she got a great vibe. So I like yeah, her song she, "Privacy," bro. That's a good song. Yeah, she's a real talented songwriter and artist. Um, I didn't do a lot of production for it. Maybe one or two beat wise, but she kind of came in at a time um, where I had a studio and I just again, this is just how I think and I operate. We was working out of like a hub. This is a dope spot. It was called I Seven down here um, in Atlanta and. I saw them, they came through, they was working and writing on some stuff for me and some other people in the studio. And um, I just was like, yo, whenever nobody's here, y'all can just use the studio and do what you want to do. Mm. I really like that, I like that sound. I really like that sound. Yeah. Maybe, oh, he froze, froze up again. Froze again. It cut out again. Like, yeah, um, you back. Yeah, yeah. I was saying uh, it was a studio, like a hub. Shout out, I got shout out my boy, uh, Tommy Valentino. It, it sounds like a made up name, and I think it is. But that was his name. <laughs> but he had a spot called I7. It was real dope, um, real eclectic, dope looking. But we, we, we made like a hub out of there. We had songwriters in there, producers, everything. And I met them coming. She came in right in and, and, um, with somebody else. And, and uh, hold on, what happened? Airpiece went out. Hello? Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, he goes out. He probably, yeah, probably hung up. And I, I love listening to the EPK because, um, listen, the thing is talking about is, you know, him having a gospel background, church background, nice on the percussion. I think the other brother named is Dane from Atlanta. He had a little musical background too, so. I'm um, back. You know, and, and what I was, yeah, yeah, you good. Yeah, okay. Was listening, watching your your EPK and watching things talk about his percussion, and I think the brother Dane talk about the music side. You know, being musicians and producers, how, how do y'all fare in that? Like, do y'all consider yourself producers or do you consider yourself musicians? Um, well, I still feel, even though I don't really play that well at all, um, they're more fluent players, like. Joey Lightfoot, he plays in church, he's an organist, pianist, everything. He plays, but um, I, I, I don't I don't play. I can sit and play a bass line and they go, yo, you play that. Well, I can sample what I've been doing. But I understand music. I understand if something's out of key, I can both produce, I can do all of it. Just from knowing and understanding um, right. from doing it, you know, from listening and knowing. Like, that's out of key. I can't tell you what key a song is in. I use a uh, mixing key to figure out the key that the song is in. Um, whereas Joe can be like, oh, that's an F sharp, but that's this, this, that, and the third. Um, and that's how we've been doing it. But um, but I, I do feel like we still are making music, so you're a musician. Our tools are different. I don't... Yeah, you cut out. Probably getting a call. All right, you back. Yeah. So their, their tunes are different. I mean, you know, I, I always like listening to, I always like listening to live instrumentation. <laughs> Excuse me. instrumentation. And if it could come out sounding like a great hip hop song, I mean, granted, I love listening to the roots when they when they put things together. Um, but it's nothing like hearing a good piano riff. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? A good guitar riff or string going on. At the same I can hear you. You know. Uh-huh. Now I was saying I love to hear good music. I mean, I love sampling, and sampling has got a little 
worn down unless you're really nice at sampling, but it's always refreshing to hear a good piano riff. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. A guitar riff in a song. Yeah. You're like, yo, yeah. somebody really worked on that joint. Like, and it makes you appreciate the quality of the song mm-hmm. instead of just knocking your head. You'd be like, nah, I really listen to this. This shit is dope. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, and, that was yeah. That's that's a little jewel too. Like even when I when me and Joe would work, I would you know most people just play a piece four bars loop it. Even if you have somebody to play it, mm-hmm. I would have him play. And that's one thing about him that makes him so dope is that he can manipulate. Like he he don't even have a live bass. He can use a keyboard with a bass sound that sounds wow. like a, a real bass. But he knows how a real bass is played, so he emulates it like the way a bass is played. He's not gonna make two notes hit at the same time. He's not gonna. So when you hear it, he will play from from the first bar to the end. Just play it all the way through, so that give a natural and a live feel, which you are not gonna hear in music today, even in R and B music. They gonna take a bunch of sequences and put them together and just flow it. But I think that's um. That's what's missing from music to give it the life, and so it's not so boring. Yeah, yeah. It's simple, and everything is just boom, 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 boom. Okay, this thing ain't happening. That's not. You can predict the whole song. I know what's gonna happen. Yeah. If I yeah. listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire, I didn't know what was gonna happen. I didn't right. hear a, a trumpet yeah. solo, a, a full pedal <laughs> solo. You know what I mean? And it made the music have a build up, and that's what I always talk about: the musicality and all of that yeah. with the music, and and that's. Well, I do love like Justice League. I love Just Blaze. I love yeah, um, yeah. I love them for that reason yeah. because they still give that element. One of my favorite productions is Maybach music too, like that uh, Justice League did. Mm-hmm. Um, Luxury Tax, but I think they did for I think that's Ross record, if I'm not mistaken. We got Wayne and Trick Daddy no more. I love that record because they would take records and we I know where they come from, but they would build on them change them and, and add their own instrumentation to it and that's just what you did, that's what you did for um feel my heartbeat hold on boom boom oh yeah, yeah yeah you yeah. you know crazy I even know, honestly bro i didn't even know you made that and i love bro. that fucking song, yeah. Son. Yeah. i love it on that song, I, got, bro. I got a shameless plug i actually have a podcast coming out called check the credits Okay. And check credits is going to be for exactly what just happened with you. I have producers that I'm interviewing that did tons of records that don't nobody know they did it. Especially today, because you can't even check the credits. You don't even know what right. But back then, we had to, the, you know, the, the pull out the booklet. The booklet pull out your yeah. 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 You know who so did now, what. Exactly. Yeah. Now you got to do so much research to know who did what. You know what I mean? Most people don't even care, and they're not going to do it. So. Nah, um, nah. I did the podcast for that reason. Yeah, um, yeah, that's dope. That's dope. That's dope. That's dope. Man, I think he froze. Think he froze up again. But yeah, the the Maybach music joint he's talking about. I don't know if it's the one with John Legend on it, but that's Justice League is. I like Justice League a lot. You talking about the Maybach music joint with John Legend on it? Oh, he lost his he lost his yeah, audio. Can you hear us? It didn't work. One, two, one, two. There you go. Can you hear us? One, two, one, two. Can't hear us. You want to come out and, well, you can't hear us. Pull them out. Hello? Yeah, there you go. There you go. You can hear us now? We're back out. We're back out. 
But um, yeah, I like I like Justice League too. I think they I think they really they're really talented. Yeah, I'm man. Not... Even, um, even the Dungeon Family, man. I mean, when you hear quality stuff, you can tell that ain't no sample. Oh yeah, nah. Mm-hmm. They, actually, they actually got they actually put that together. You know what I mean? Right. And then, the, like I said, when you hear music like that, the sound quality, the sonic sound of it. It allows you to listen to the album or to the song. It don't have you just knocking your head because it's a boom bap. Trust me, yeah, I'm a yeah. boom bap baby, son. I'm yeah. 50 fucking years old, so. Yeah. But I do appreciate LTD and Lord and, and, and Earth, Wind and Fire, Earth, Wind and Fire, hell yeah, all these older groups because it allowed me to actually appreciate the sound Music. of instrumentation, bro. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Nah, I'm yeah. You know, a crazy story about that that film on Heartbeat record. Um, we was we did like a, a, a interview with a with a guy that, that he has like a digging kind of platform um, online, and he actually wow. put us in touch with her because he was doing something like with the older artists and who flipped their records. Mm-hmm. And we found out. We spoke to her on the phone. We found out we were the only ones, or at that time, because other people used it since then. But at that time, we was the only one that ever cleared the sample to use it where she ever got paid. Because she never got paid from the original record, the wow. original recording. Wow. That's Dang. actually a, a, a release that she was signed to, I believe, it was one of the guys from KISS. Her name's Lynn Christopher. So mm. she was signed to him. They never, they did the album, but it never got released. So the records that people sampled from is like from a reissue or a lost tape kind of thing. Yeah. And so we were the first people to use it and for LL and they cleared it through Def Jam and she was that was the first time she ever got paid from that record oh, ever from the time she recorded it to now and I think yeah. that record's from like 1973 and we Damn. did it in 2008 so that was when she got some money for it I know and she, she was, was happy to get that check <laughs> she was yeah, really emotional yeah. on the phone talking to us it was crazy yeah nah that's that's good over the years major labels have made um significant cuts and oh, I think yeah. one of the things that appears to, to, to really have hurt as a result of those cuts is artist development. What does artist development look like now in 2022? And is there even artist development? Well, you, you're watching it in real time. So what, what happens is these artists get signed with no media training, no no understanding how to make records. No, You're seeing it in real. I, look, I always say this to people, I'll be like, Sometimes when I listen to records, they sound like demos. Like, like if in our day when we would have made a demo presented mm-hmm. to a label, they like, yeah, you dope, you got potential, we're gonna sign you and groom you. They don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he, he broke out. But yeah, I, I feel like labels now are just interested in analytics. Like, yo, how many Instagram followers you got? How many people you got on Facebook? How many views you got on YouTube? Can you hear us? They, they just want you to pull Your it audio, out. Yeah, his, his his audio went out again. But yeah, labels aren't trying to invest that money any anymore. Like I guess A and R artist development ain't in the budget anymore. You back? You hear us? Uh, yeah, we hear you. Okay, I said um, yeah. So you you seeing it in real time? In my opinion, I, I think it's happening. It's, it, example is the baby, little baby. Not the baby, but little baby. From little baby's first record 
till right now. When he first came out, the first record I heard, well, I think it was That's My Dog. But the record he had with Drake was like my real first paying record. attention to him. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm going to go on the record. I don't care what people, I thought he was ass. I'm not going to hold it. I thought he was ass. I thought it was trash. I'm going to keep it a bean. Because he like, said, because that dog. line, wham, wham, wham. I thought it was ass. But again, that was like, like what, 2018, 20, mm-hmm. something like that, right? So over time, the baby snaps now. He, he nice, yeah. little, little baby, I mean. He snaps now. He's nice. Mm-hmm. Am I? Okay. Yeah, he froze, froze up again. You hear me, Rob? Yes, sir. Yo, now I'm, I'm, yo, I go on record too, saying the first time I heard him, I was like, nah, this, this ain't, this ain't for me, this ain't for me. But you hear him now, you like, oh shit, he got balls. P said, all this development today is just making copycat versions of each other's songs and flow. That's a fact. That's a great point right there. So you can't, sometimes you can't even differentiate who the hell is who. Yeah. Like, there's no, originality ain't even a word even used today, bro. Like, what, you ask, a kid, you ask anybody what originality means, what's that? Originality? What? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I don't want to be, I know I cut off, I might have stopped saying at the point where I say he's bad, so I don't want nobody to just <laughs> You froze up again. Maybe it's the universe trying to tell us how you really feel about him. <laughs> God, all jokes aside though, Lil Baby's a dope artist and I think we have been fortunate enough to see his his, his glow up and his development. Like he, he's, he's drastically he's drastically improved from his earlier works. But that just that just goes to show you the lack thereof. When you don't mm-hmm. have it, and you want to, you know, you want to be an artist, you want to be successful in this business. You know, you, you got you got to do your homework, man. You got you got to go to camp. You got to go to boot camp a little bit. Yeah, but the labels don't want to invest that money. The labels don't want to invest that money now. Well, yeah, you know, but we're in a time where the artists, artists like yeah. you know, information out here. Artists got to do their own job. Man. They got to do their own. Homework. Yeah, yeah, I, Rob, I agree. I think artists need to do their, their homework, but I also think like artists need like somebody professionally to come alongside it. I'm like, we got to see artist development in, in, in the form of making a band. Like you've seen Puffy actually take these dudes to wardrobe, teach them right. how to have a stage presence, yeah, try to right, teach right, them right, about right. how you call it, actually handling the media. We got to see right. all of that. Like the labels were doing things like that back in the days, but now it's just like, all right, you got a buzz online. You sign. And stop being lazy. And stop being lazy. Go in the studio and actually work with a, a producer. Stop emailing shit. Yeah, I, I think that. Yeah, I think I think that does hurt. Sometimes you can luck up and that can, and that can work sometimes. But I think the synergy of people being creative and working in a room together creates mm-hmm. the best record. So even oh, if you do, oh, if somebody's somewhere else, I just think they need to keep working on the record because there's records. Even that's that's kind of at the era where I kind of didn't like it where we had to send people beats and email and and then sometimes if you gave them the beat even as a two track like an mp3 and it's right. clean and it's knocking they don't even want this them so you're not going to the studio they taking it from your two track and just putting the record nah that's you know why i'm mixing though yeah so so i i, I that kind of started to kind of wean me off a little bit like i was like i don't i don't know i didn't like the direction everything was going in because like, like you mentioned, as far as the artist development is one side of it. Now I just think it puts it back in the artists or the production companies and the labels' hands to develop it. But it's a plus. 
when it's done right, like I tell you what, everything is a good and a bad, but when it's done right, it's a plus because now artists get to go in or companies get to go in and have leverage because if I did everything, all I need is your, really your, your some of your resources in your bag. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I have more leverage so I can get a 50-50 joint venture or 80-20 and still get money from the label. You know what I mean? And still get a big bag up front because now you have leverage so it's, in the same instance it's breeding look at a, a Yo Gotti or you know some of the other people that's coming out now that's putting people on and in position they're becoming QC all of these different they would that wouldn't have happened if they didn't have those artists you know because I mean? no label would have took them that far if one record don't work or it buzzes they would, a lot of those artists would have been one hit wonders because mm-hmm. they wouldn't have kept grinding with them and kept going and kept going labels don't what I learned when I when I had a, a small stint of working with, with some of the artists at, at Universal and having like having the, the freedom to go into an AR meeting or be around the business of what's going on through my then manager, um, I started to know that it was all bottom line. They didn't like they didn't care about what I thought they cared about. I mm-hmm. thought that they signed the artist, they want every artist to go platinum. No, they don't they don't care. They Business one on one. Yeah, we need to we need to hear this. Bottom line, son. Yeah, we need to hear this. Right fingers, they are too lazy. Niggas spend all that money and fly jets. It won't be <laughs> 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 it won't be a dude in the damn studio, son. Shit. Oh man. Crazy world we live in, man crazy world we live in. But, you know, it's the world we live in, but it is part of our responsibility because of the world we live in to change yes. the things. You know what I'm saying? So. We can't, but like I said, they're, 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 they're solely on bottom line, bro. They don't care about what you think they should care about, um, especially when record companies became publicly traded companies. They're just like any other company on the stock market. They're totally yep. caring about the bottom line. That's really it. So, they don't, every artist they sign, they're not expecting them to go platinum. They're not expecting them to go gold. If one does, that's great. They have the mm-hmm. ones that keep the whole, the lights on for the whole age. Sure, they yep. might, if they sign 20 people, maybe two or three of those, they're expecting and those are the ones they're going to really put a bag behind. That's just how mm-hmm. it works. Yeah, that's right. they, don't, they don't really care. So, when I started to learn that, I'm like, well, wait, why did you sign them? Or why are you, you only expecting this amount of sales and return from this artist so they're only going to spend this amount they're only going to allocate this much for their budget they're only going to allocate this much for an advance and everything so they know that today it's even worse because today they have direct analytics to tell what the artist is worth (laughs) exactly I just said that like yo it's all all about the analytics yo so that that makes me that makes makes me I mean, to the T, though, bro. I, I don't mean like they can. I mean, I, I have the same. I have a it's, it's the software that they use, which I, I have, and literally I can type in any artist's name. It'll give me direct to the to the second what they just posted on Instagram. Like it has, it's like having a credit report for your music career. Mm. I can see their streams. I can see their posts on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, their followers. Who they just follow, like you can see everything. It's like just imagine just having that right at your disposal. So you can't lie no more and be like, yo, my artist is the hottest such and such. They go, okay, type it in <laughs> in five seconds, tell you all his stats, his Spotify monthly listeners, everything. Mm. All right, yep, yep. So, right. so when I mean that they can gauge what you're worth to them, it's, it's literal. Uh, it's not like a 
estimation. They literally can yeah. tell you how much you're streaming, what your numbers is coming in. They can look at the charts to see how well you're progressing or if you digressed or if you bought fake plays wow. here or this month, how you, mm-hmm. it's crazy. So that's what they're working with now. They're not, there's no gut instinct A&R signing artists or label saying, yeah, I believe in this artist. This is the next DMX. They signed yeah. DMX with his mouth, with his jaw wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You had yeah. to have some vision to think he was gonna be something. This man yeah. is he just just got his jaw wire rapping in the studio and y'all just he gonna be the one. How do you know that? Yeah. That's a gut instinct. Man, I, I, I feel like that we 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 despite, you know, like you, you look at the analytics and like the average Joe may not have the analytics at their disposal. But I think that still having some level of analytics, there should be more artists that are willing to go independent. Why do you think that there are artists that are still stuck in this whole concept of having a major label behind them and they need to have the machine behind them and they need the big budget? Those big budgets don't exist anymore. So well, they do. The, prop, the, the thing is, most artists are lazy. That's the real truth. And they don't want to do the work. They don't want to do the work. Because despite how glamorous... I heard Jay just say that. He's like, listen, I saw him say that too. Nori, all of them. Because <laughs> especially if you had a taste of it, like Nori, Jay kids have been with big budgets and they coming from the 2000s era where they was just giving money away. So they right. spoiled to no avail like crazy. So they can't fathom going out here having to physically do the work. Because despite, yes, the reward is great, but it's a lot of work. Don't let people lie to you like, oh, Independent, it's, it just depends on the circumstance. If you're a worker and a hustler, young dog, because a worker and a hustler makes yeah. sense to be with Empire, be independent. And then there's opportunities and situations that you can go get the same kind of major. Yeah. He, he broke up. P, when he come back, we're going to ask this question. This is a good question right here. How can you tell it's a good question right here because a lot of artists low key got hot from them streaming farms. Yeah, buying your streams. Yeah, you you can still get a major bag with some of these independents, like uh, this distributors that do have like label services, like an Empire and a few others that you can still, you know, you can. You still get it, but like I like you said, like I don't know if people want to put in that work. Yeah, so the work ethic is, is different, man. Microwave ass society. Nobody want to work for nothing, man. They just want shit to happen. Yeah, I think the other part of it too, though, is that the, the major labels probably getting that advance. People have got used to getting that advance money. Yeah, and they coming from they coming from backgrounds and areas where fifty thousand, whatever money that's given thrown at them, they think they're gonna hit the lottery. Mm. Right, he froze. He froze up again. But yeah, this is this is definitely a good question. How can they tell if artists purchase fake plays? Cause there's a lot of there's a there's been a lot of artists in recent times that people swore, people people swore they were they were hot artists, but it was because people purchased streams and manipulated yeah. billboard and all that. Chris so was asking how how can they tell if artists purchase? Well, I mean anybody if anybody can see analytics the, the bots. I mean just like any kind of graph, you'll see like shock and like crazy. You know, uh, boost and nothing gradual, nothing gradual, nothing gradual. It probably just shoot straight up. Like, how do you get that overnight, bro? Yeah, well, from a thousand uh, dudes go from a thousand streams a month 
to a million streams a month. Yeah, it'll 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 jump up and down. So the fact that they can see your analytic charts for Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things, they'll see spikes. You know what I mean? And it won't be like smoothed out or you know, because how people listen to music wouldn't go jump up like this and then go down and jump. So they can, I mean, they can see it. Yeah, you I mean, can lie to them all day if they're gonna know. And I mean, it just doesn't make sense to, to do it because if you're trying to gain a real audience and a real fan base, you know, it don't make sense to buy boxes. You can't gauge who really like what you got going on and how you can grow that. If you don't, exactly. if you got a bunch of fake people, you can't grow fake people. So it exactly. makes sense to just have a thousand, five hundred, a hundred people really rocking with you, playing your music and supporting you and really being a fan. Somebody told me that. I think it was Shaq Kim years ago. He's like, if you get a thousand fans, you can make a living off music for the rest of your life off those thousand people because you always have that thousand to sell to mm -hmm. come see you perform to do whatever they they don't have not like how we got a thousand followers and ten thousand followers but true fans and true supporters you know you, you can make you know yeah I mean? you, you know what I, I i appreciate you saying that because i think like for a lot of a lot of artists who probably haven't attained this huge level of success commercial success they do have a cult following, you know, and in that cult following, you may have 5,000 diehard core fans. That's your audience that whatever you put out, they're going to purchase. And <coughs> rather than trying to cater to the masses, you know, why not give your 5,000 fans what they want? You know, you got those 5,000 fans, two or 3,000 will probably buy your shirt. So, you know, two or 3,000 will probably yeah. stream your song or buy your CD or your album or whatever it is. But I think that people keep getting caught up in this whole thing around you know what I gotta have this huge commercial success and he froze froze up again so Joey said it's a lot because then you gotta do all the work you see the people doing in the cubicles in the office all at the same damn time and you gotta create at the same time too and you gotta create at the same time crazy world bro yeah, we can't we can't hear you. There you go. Yeah. But yeah, I was saying that, you know, like you have your core your core audience of people that's gonna come out and support you. You look overseas, like we had Master Ace on and we talking to Master Ace, and Master Ace does very well abroad. You know, he yeah. was like he could do a show in the in, in the States and have less than a hundred people, but then go abroad and have thousands of people who know the words yeah. to all the songs, you know, because those are purists, they is fans. And yeah. you know, yeah. you capitalize off those people. Everybody doesn't need to be a huge commercial success. You know, I asked him, I was like, would you rather have had your career or young jock's career? I think I asked him. And he said that he'd rather <laughs> his career because he was like, he's like, yo, young jock probably, you know, whatever money young jock made as a result of his successful single. He probably already spent it and don't have it <laughs> anymore. Sure. You know, so long, yeah, there's value yeah. on longevity. Oh, love and yeah. yeah, that's the whole thing. Like, I, and that's something I had to learn too. Um, what you do with your money when you make it, because it ain't gonna keep going. <laughs> it ain't gonna just stay coming consistently forever. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think the kids nowadays do have a better understand i just think the world in general people are more have an entrepreneurial mindset more business minded so when people get a little piece of money they know how to make try to make it stretch versus back then these these uh you know in that in that era people wasn't trying to make it stretch they was just like thinking live just like a, a drug dealer from the 80s they <laughs> they won't be living the life yeah 20 years later 30 years later bro it's not gonna keep happening bro you're gonna have yeah. to figure that out and um that's something i did and i remember 
going to some some of my peers that was doing good in the industry at the time. I was doing pretty bad. I had some stuff going on, but I, I, money wasn't right. So I was like, yo, how do y'all still be making money when you ain't placing no records, you ain't doing everything? Oh, I, I own a brownstone. Oh, I got a barbershop. Oh, I got a restaurant. <laughs> I was like, well, who the hell was going to tell me? Diversified that portfolio. All I keep doing is buying equipment and studio shit. Oh. And I'm not investing in my money in anything to make it grow. And I'm not from a family that has money and understands financial mm -hmm. literacy. Like most of us aren't. Um, mm -hmm. So we just spent the money as it came, thinking it was going to keep coming. Yeah. And um, without, like I said, without you can have all the information, but I didn't have it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When he come back, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask him though, like about the um, we get that get that first check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you did, yo? Because everybody at some point they messed up a bag. You messed up a bag. He's yeah. Everybody at some point they messed up a bag. We can't hear you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. You back? Yeah. I was gonna say. So at least you bought studio equipment because if you got the right, the right, uh, uh, how you call it, accountant, then at least you could try to put that as like a depreciating asset or something and try to write it all yeah you, you 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 was too advanced for me right there i, don't know about <laughs> I know about cash money but i just i just understood checking accounting and accounting and everything like so it was all fairly new to me so i'm spending as money coming in i'm spending it i'm not and, and you know like anybody i don't care how many thousands hundreds of thousands or millions you make if you ain't invested in the money not growing so you're gonna just keep spending and spending so that's ultimately what happened and then i Yo. got to a point where you know, I start asking questions because then you embarrassed because you don't want to, you don't want to let niggas know you don't know what you did with your money. You still a grown man, so I don't want to be going to niggas like I'm broke. So I go, yo, um, I'm trying to slightly ask little light hints like, yo, my man, like, how what you do when you ain't getting no placements? Like, what you got? To <laughs> oh, I own a restaurant. Oh, I got a food truck. Oh, I got a barbershop. Oh, I got two brownstones. That's right. Oh, I got a club. Got to diversify your portfolio. Yo, yeah, so I what had you... a recording studio that I was renting. I didn't even own the building in the studio. So what did you do with your first big check? Bought equipment. <laughs> yo, but you know what? I could. Yo, but I, I had could... equipment. Let me explain to you. I. But that's, a, that's a self investment, though. It is, but it's not because what I kept doing was buying what the other rich niggas around me could afford. I couldn't really afford it. When they going out getting it because it's the newest thing. Right. Oh, man. He froze up again. But yeah, that equipment, yeah, that's a, a depreciating asset. You got the right account and you can write that off and do all right with that. Could be worse. I thought he was gonna say that he bought some, some, uh, some, some sneakers or some drip, some, <laughs> yo, a, a crazy car. Yeah, I bought a, I bought a Lambo. With the Jacob. Talk about the projects. Iced myself out. Iced out medallion. Shame. It happens though. Like yo, real talk. It happens. You know, like we, you, you know, not everybody got that level of financial literacy. So. We not all talk about money, man. Not. Nah, not at all. That's it. You can hear us? 
Nah, he can't hear us yet. Not yet. Yo, if you got questions for Chop, put them in the chat. We try to take some um some questions from folks that's viewing. Appreciate everybody pulling up and tuning in too for this discussion. Who the hell? You see what's in the comments, bro? There you go. I'm not buying anything before I buy some land. Small yeah, land. nah. I ain't know nothing. We ain't know nothing about no land, bro. It was all bad. Yo, but I wasted, you... a, I wasted a lot of money, bro. But you ain't go out, yo. You ain't go out and buy like no crazy chain or right, no. Yeah, I, I, smoke man, out, I never, was, never, yeah. I never was that dude. I mean, I, I did stuff. I just didn't make smart decisions. Like the building we had the studio in, I should have tried to buy something like that and right. own it. So even you know, I, I was just, I only, my only had one way of making money, which was from music. So I didn't mm. know any other ways. I didn't know, you know, I had some friends around me that was telling me about real estate and. I just thought it was too much and I was so consumed with music that that's all I invested my time in and that I knew. I knew that like the back of my hand. But, but did you I rent was, out did you did you rent out the studio for other people to record and did you like try to invoice the label to have Well, when I when we first opened it, I had studios prior to that. I had like, you know, a, a decent like I said we had like kind of the the main spot in the city. So we had something we was doing that. But when I got the deal then I got high and mighty. So I didn't need to do those sessions. I was invoicing the label. I'm working with AZ for 30 days, but that money was crazy. You know, the money Yo. you're getting, that's the one thing I always love with the music industry. When you invoice for that studio, you gotta wait 30 days, but you gonna get it. It's like clockwork. And it would be crazy, you know, crazy money. Way, way better than the $30, $40 an hour I'm charging for those sessions locally. Yeah. So, but that's what I mean when those folks of money and checks was coming in, I, and especially then, man, I could have been snatching up $20,000 houses, $10,000, $50,000 houses, fixing them up, getting land, yeah, real estate, doing that, or buying a build. Back then, I could have, the building we was, some of the buildings where we was around where we was at, I could have bought for like $250,000. Now they like a million, quarter of a million dollars, $700,000. But at that time, I could have did that. But I, I, again, I didn't have that energy around me. All I had was, and, and, and in my in my opinion, I felt like I was kind of the brains of most of the stuff that I had around me, so I couldn't go to the people around me and ask them, because they thought I knew. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So, so started, I'm going to tell you, I don't know if you I don't know if you did it, but what I would have did is I would have sold AZ a beat, then I would have told him, oh, you got to come I, record. I said, I would have sold AZ the beat, then I would have told him, you got to come record it. Can you hear me? Nice, bro. Oh, he froze up? He's, he's on his way of freezing when you said that, that he actually froze. Yeah. Yeah, that equipment was expensive. Sam Ash was hitting people over the head. <laughs> <laughs> Guitar Center and Sam Ash got, had the crazy come up back then. Sam Ash got his grandson working in there now. That nigga off so well. Sam, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Sam Ash got filthy off of dudes. Could you imagine of, of all the producers the kind of money Sam Ash and Guitar Center must have made? Listen, man. We, 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 we both know an individual we talked about yesterday. He would always buy. He lived in that place, bro. <laughs> Where? Sam, Sam Ash. Sam Ash. Oh, yeah. Guitar Center. <laughs> Sam Ash. Guitar Center, bro. That was, bro. Yeah. Oh, my God. But, you know, here's, here's what I was saying. I would have I sold AZ the beat, and then I would have told him, yo, you got to record it at my studio. So I would have got the bread. No, I did. Beat. That's what I'm telling you. I did and, all of that. I, every, yo, every artist, every artist I did earlier on, I did, oh, they paid me. Ali Vegas recorded his whole album with me. 
Mm. And then they, the songs they didn't do with me, they went to other studios. I did AZ, I did both of those albums at my studio. Yeah, and the then, majority and, of them. So I was, that's what we were doing. And then there was other artists because we was working with, with Trackmaster. So whoever was signed in Columbia, the guy, uh, uh, Free from 106 and Park, she used to be in my studio, um, recorded 50. Tons of people was coming in. So it was like, I was invoicing the label, we was making money, but like I just told you, if I'm making it and I don't invest it in any vehicle to make it make money, it's gonna go. Cause I'm yeah. gonna spend that shit on stuff I couldn't <laughs> afford. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to. Yeah. You ought to put a vending machine in the studio, all that shit. <laughs> <laughs> vending machine, Hell yeah. We know, that, we know that now though. We know that now. Shit. Every everything, yo. Now for real, them the music stores, they was getting it, man. They was getting it back then. They probably still they getting, getting it, man. Um, but you know what? There's a lot, a lot of, a lot of people buying stuff online, and there's a lot of portable, like real small handheld machines that people. So it's going to the days I think where dudes are going and buying like these crazy, crazy um keyboards. Like dudes used to be going oh, yeah, and no, no, keyboards that's, that's old, regularly. That's but yo, I'll say vending machine. So I would have had the soda machine out of the vending machine. I would have told my man who sell bud come through. <laughs> we had that. We had food. We had all. I mean, I had right. open the kitchen. Yeah, it was a crazy open. It was a real studio. We had kitchen. We had food. We had soda. We had everything in it. The problem was we was making all of the money. When you make it and you don't invest it in anything else and you just spending it, it's gone. Yeah. And that's what happened over a course of, and it's, this is not infinite. This is like maybe a straight, from 99, I'll say, to 04. University, you're absolutely right. Don't sleep on vending machines. It's a nice yeah. hour. Joey said they had the vending machine. Yo, I would have had everything in there. I would have been like, yo, um, cable would have been a tax write off. Any, yo, I got a dude who, I got a dude who run to the liquor store for y'all. I charge you for that. You writing off taxes. You, you had a food truck right outside. Yo, car service to bring you to the studio. Detailing, pull up, the car. Everything. But yo, back then, back then, them budgets was much bigger. So dudes was getting those budgets, right. and I, I've, yo, I've, I know people who were yeah. signed who had, who had deals, and they was tearing them budgets up with the car service, yeah. ordering all kind of. Yo, let me get ten, ten pizza bro, pies. Bro, and... I used to go to the studio. We'd be at the hit factory, especially then, because a lot of times those artists didn't like to be in the sessions when mixing their records. Mm-hmm. And I call half the hood. Yo, I'm at the hit factory on 54th Street. Come through, bro. We ordering, we ordering all kind of food on Nas budget. We ordering all kind of food on Nature budget. Everybody, and then they they going. We yeah. coming over there. We chilling, eating up. We, we did all of that. That was cool. That's why I said it was a lot more money and access to you know for, for the labels. But it it kind of backfired in years to come for for the labels. That's why they introduced a lot of these deals and 360 deals and. And celebrity, and celebrity deals where they're getting money off of everything um, yeah. to, to recoup some of those losses and a lot of money that was spent. Open budgets, you know what I mean? To have an open budget is insane, but that's basically giving, you know, since your, your kid your checkbook or your, your, your credit card. 
Yeah, that's crazy. And that's what it really was. You're giving kids who had no idea of what money meant and you could just spend it up. That's why it took people so long to recoup. Mm-hmm. You know, we was in the studio with LL. This was old too. He said, I'm still in the red. I, last time I had a positive uh, royalty statement was 96. This was old like old too. <laughs> because even when you have those good albums, you recoup mm-hmm. sometimes or you might break even, but then you get a big advance the next time and you spend all this money and then you don't do good. They're going to mm-hmm. still give you another budget every time. And yeah. then someone like him, he's a marquee artist. Because even though he's not, wasn't selling a lot of records in that, you know, some period, like during the early 2000s or late 90s, yeah. he didn't do crazy until like 01 or 02 again. Got a he still was getting those budgets. And he's a top artist, yeah. so he's not getting no little small budget. He's getting an open budget. He's getting features. He can pay for whoever. He can pay for whatever mm-hmm. producer. And then back then, you would kill a budget because, like I told you, I did tons of records for people that never came out. But I got a first half. So mm-hmm. if you pay 20 producers 10000 or 5000 or 20000 in their first half, you eat up your budget right yeah. there. And you yeah. don't even use the song. Yeah. Nah. You know, um, just like even even thinking about like the stuff with the um, the budget joint, like what I don't understand is that you think about before dudes had deals, they was actually writing their rhymes before they got to the studio gotcha. when it was yeah, on their yeah. time. Now, yo, it take a dude, yo... I would be, I, if I overseen LA, it would not work for me. I'd be pissed. I'd be like, yo, how you gonna tell me you've been in the studio for two weeks and you got one, one sixteen, you got one verse, you know, like dudes just got so lazy and complacent. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yo, them budgets got tore up. But I'm telling, I seen a lot of dudes blow through budgets, and and it's just sad. What's your, what's your thoughts on um streaming? I think we, we lost some. Joey said order sh- shrimp the size of my fist. Well, let me get shrimp, filet mignon, Yo, um, give me a bottle of Dom P, <laughs> and some Cristal up, anything you could think of. And then at the end of the day, when 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 the artist actually came out or the artist got their statement and they seen all the stuff that was on the statement, dudes was losing their mind. You like, Yo, of you course. tell me I spent what on what? Yeah, Listen. and then you buying chicken wings all day. <laughs> I, I was an executive producer on a project. I got to leave a name because I don't want to name the person who was taking the money. But <laughs> So when we got, as executive producer, I got to go over the entire budget as well. So when I get the budget, I look. I see a said person's name, so-and-so, $37.50. So-and-so, $37.50. So-and-so, $37.50. So-and-so, $37.50. So-and-so. So they, he was just straight having them take money out of his budget and pay him. Mm. It wasn't even hitting. And it was a lot of that, you know, a lot of kickback going on, a lot of, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, overcharging for the studio, working out a deal with the studio owners or working out deals yeah. with radio yeah. people and stuff. It was a lot. Of, I mean, it still goes on, but it was like, it was so much money at that time, so it wasn't being missed. So you could do it easy. Yeah. Right. Way easier. But they were just blatant. When I saw... That's, that was one of the breaking points that made me go, I don't want to be an artist. I'm being real, because when I saw you that, that end of it. You're, you're, you're responsible for that money. So you're stealing my money, and I got to pay it back. You're stealing mm-hmm. from me. Where we from, you can't just steal from somebody, bro. Shit, you right. probably got artists trying to file. Yo, can you file bankruptcy on a record contract? <laughs> <laughs> now, what the thing about it is, you don't ever have to pay them that money back. Like, so 
when people brick or they get dropped, a lot of times they don't have to pay that money back. So that's another. They would just write it off. Yeah, and a, a lot of times, um, I saw this a few times where they'll sign someone. They not they want to fence about it. They might try it out. It don't work. They just go like, all right, cool. They didn't gave yeah. you money, all that. And they don't really care. So some people could walk away from the situation. Mm -hmm. I owe nothing. Go get a deal somewhere else. Right. Yeah. What's what's your opinion on streaming? Um, is is it good or bad for the artists? Because I know streaming uh, in terms of with the the the, the royalties. Is for streaming it doesn't seem like it's right now working out for artists but it is another mechanism to try to generate revenue for artists well it's long-term revenue think what would you rather have right and just just use this as an example i do a record with a company it's a physical cdo record and I, after uh 18 months they stopped manufacturing so all the pieces that i did i made that's it mm -hmm. that's the end it's never going to make any more money unless they re-release it as a greatest hits or something else later on, you'll never make money off that again. Whereas with streaming can live forever. Like it's not gonna go away. So that artist can keep making money. Now you gotta get the percentages and the payouts a little bit better. But mm -hmm. if you're into like say somebody like Russ. Oh, he lost him again. At least he losing right as he's about to Oh, I, uh, yo, that's, yo, you would be really good. Yeah, I know who this is. I know for a fact who this is, Joey. <laughs> I know who this is. <laughs> Joey, Joey, Joey put it out there. Mm. Anybody in the chat want to take a guess who we talking about? Hard, <laughs> yo. You back? Yeah, we back. back. Yeah, I was saying somebody like Russ, who owns his catalog, and he's getting the the, the, the majority or the, or the whole thing, his streaming catalog forever. He's gonna get all of that. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Whereas if you had a piece of vinyl or cassette or a CD, it's gonna stop selling at some point. Streams are not. They go through a verses and people's streams go through the roof. It's just they don't own it. And they don't own the master, and they don't. So, they, but they're still getting publishing, and they're still getting money from it. So it's an yeah. infinite cycle of money. So I think that aspect of it is dope. They do got to work out the percentages and everything to make the payout a lot better. But it's a way to collect money that people ultimately wouldn't even see. Like a lot of the, I, I took advantage of the music I did from the '90s. I re-released and put it back on streaming platforms, and it started streaming because it had a buzz in that time frame. So all of the YouTube channels that play. The old hip hop, the '90s, the golden era—they put it on those playlists and start playing them and going on with them. And I generated money off records that I never made money from when I put them out. You put I was them out, right. and popping, but there was no. So that wouldn't even been a thing for me. Or like somebody who gets their rights back to their their music and can put it back out. Royce just did that with that project he got. You know what I mean? He yeah. got his masters back. He put out his greatest hits, added like five or six new songs. Now he can collect that money. You yeah. wouldn't have been able to really do that, you know. My thing, so, my thing yeah. with streaming though is that, like, all right, so how, who's, how are the streams being counted? Because there's this like, what counts, I mean, what constitutes a, a play, and what constitutes a start, and it's just, it's, it seems very convoluted. Well, I'll tell you this about the streaming. Period. The biggest streaming platform, which is Spotify, and I'm sure you, if you did any research and you understand. The labels, when they came to the labels asking to put the music on these platforms to license them, 
the labels didn't want to let them do it and they was asking for a crazy fee they didn't want to give them the money to do it so they worked out a deal where they have ownership so they got equity in spotify okay you feel me so that's why if you notice you always see people talk about spotify monthly list that you from the industry side you always hear spotify because the industry owns that shit. yeah <laughs> So that's the that's the reason, and that's why it's the lowest paying platform because the record labels own it. So they sold the artists out for a bigger share and a bigger cut of the overall. That's why they don't care about the pennies on the dollar they're paying out because they make way more money. Mm. You know what I mean? So that side of it has to get worked out and figured out. But as far as you know, just they they just made up a system. 150 plays equal one stream. 1500 mm-hmm. streams equal one you know one uh, album sale. I don't know how they pulled that shit out there where it came from, but that's the wow. system they have, and that's what they're using. So it helps and it hurts. Like, say for somebody like me, I never had a major single that blew up and sold millions and millions of records, but I was on all of, a lot of albums that did well. I would make money off the album sales. Nowadays, the album sales isn't based off the collective of the songs. It's based on those songs. Like when Drake, I forgot which album it was, but he had, I think it was the one that had uh, God, uh, God's Plan and all of that on it. He dropped like three or four singles before his album dropped. The day his album dropped, his album was multi-platinum because they calculated those streams to make up the, the sales, the, the equivalent yeah. sales of his album. So the other producers who have records on there, they're not eating the same way. So it's right. like kind of, in that regard, it messes up some of the things that people could have benefited from, but... I mean, like with anything, you're going to have some good with it, you're going to have some bad with it. I'm not against it, though. I'm, I'm, I'm with it because I think it gives the music industry life and can keep going. And it, it doesn't have to stop. You know what I mean? Somebody can get a resurgence and get back on their career and get back out there moving. And I yeah. think it also gives people um, of all ages, like if you want to rap when you're 45 or you want to rap when you're 50, you can still do it. Because Direct- you target that artist, that audience directly and yep. promote your music to the people that grew up with you like you grew up. You still love mm-hmm. hip-hop. I'm 49. I still love hip-hop. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, I'm, I'll still listen to certain artists and if a new artist comes in that give me that same vibe, I rock with. And some of the yeah. new guys I rock with, if it's good music, it's good music. I don't care if they use Fruity Loops or they use the 808 or they did whatever. If it sounds good, I like it. Yo, I agree. I, yo, I, I appreciate you saying that because I got, like I said earlier, that some people get wrapped into the technical know-how of it and what you use in this that if it sounds good it sounds good um it's been a master class with chop diesel i appreciate all, all the information no very very good discussion but i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm end it on this i want to ask you because i know you from new jersey give me your top five new jersey mcs of all time oh I can't give an order, but I can give you the MC. I was going, I was going there next. I was going to say I, I want to know who number one. I can't give, <laughs> I can't give an order, bro. And then, I mean, it's just like for me, it's it's generational, bro. Um, all right, so give me, give me five. You don't have to give it any necessary order. Just give me five. It's different. All right, uh, ooh, Tretch is up there, definitely. Uh, I was hoping you say that. Yeah, Trash is most definite. Red Man's most definite. Um, damn. 
I mean, it's a person that people probably wouldn't understand why. I mean, because the music that he put out didn't show the full scope of him, but um, Apache is definitely. Apache was not. Apache. Um, I need a gangster. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. That was that was him, but not really him. But he, he was definitely a lyricist. Mm-hmm. Um, G. Cole said, better not say trick. Yeah, G. Cole crazy. We, we had these arguments all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he from West Palm Beach, Florida, but we can't listen to him. He don't even count for disrespect, but he don't count. <laughs> um, that's my man. I love him. Um, but, uh, Chill Raw G. Chill Rob, wow, Chill Rob G. Chill Rob, see, I'm looking, and it's different. It's going on the penmanship of, if I take it from that aspect of a, a lyrical writer, you know what I'm saying, a, a lyricist in, in that regard. Um, uh, it's tough, it's tough. I'm missing somebody. Oh, Joe, Joe Button is dope. I'm Joe Button. Joe Button. I froze up for a second, so I may have missed. Did you say red? Yeah, I said red. Red? Red Red man stretch. I said chill rock D. I said Apache. And I said Joe Button. Apache and Joe Button. Okay. One more? Huh? That's five, right? Five right. That's five five right there. That's a good five. It's some it's some other people. It's a lot of people from Jersey that I'm gonna keep it real. It's a lot and I'm sure in every area, as we just talking about G Code, he got a dude from down there named Triple J that was ill. But in Jersey it's a lot of people who was really dope that never really got the you know what I'm saying, the shine never really pursued it like that. Um but it was a lot of dope rappers and MCs. Was was La Kim Shabazz from Jersey? La Kim from North. Another new dope flavor unit. Yeah, like that's my man. Was dope. I always liked um the outsiders. Artifact, yeah. right? And the ah, artifact. Team one and L said artifact. Yeah. yeah, it was it was it was a lot. I mean, if I'm looking at even, but he wasn't really that dope. But they they had a dope impact. Respect, uh, one of them is from is from uh, Jersey. I can't think I of know that. Yeah, one is from Brooklyn and one from Jersey. Yeah, I just thought they was from Brooklyn. I ain't no one was from Jersey. Nah. Scoob, I think, is from. No, it's Dre. Dre. Dre? Crazy Crazy. He from Jersey and Scoob is from Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, nah, Joe Joe is lyrical. I ain't gonna front. Joe is definitely lyrical. Yeah. Yeah, Joe Button, I would have to say. Yeah, Joe is definitely lyrical. Yo, so what's what's next for Chop Diesel before we wrap? What you got going on? Man, right now, um... Like I told you, I'm about to launch that podcast. Um, I got some crazy interviews lined up with some some producers. Some some people know and some people don't know. But some people you know and didn't know they produced that. Didn't know they did. Yeah, bro. A lot of that. Definitely a lot of that. Oh, he fro- froze up. But yeah, Red Man first album was crazy. Time for time for it was what what the album right? Time for some action. How to roll the blunt. Superman lover. Yeah, you can't count red out. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of what I got going on. The podcast is gonna be launching. I'm gonna be doing, like I said, I'm I'm, I'm on a more of a consultant, and I don't want to say manager because I don't think I want to be a manager anymore in life. I tried that. <laughs> be a mentor, man. Yeah, I want a mentor. I want to teach. I've got programs, different things I'm trying to put together. 
Nice. Um, and just put the information out there for the people who want it. That's the other thing too. Is a lot of times you try to force this information on people who need it but don't necessarily want it. So mm-hmm. it's like you know that always clashes. I'd rather just put it out there and um, I'm I'm gonna start being more visible and more because they they always getting on me like I don't be out, I don't be active, I don't do interviews, I don't do a lot of stuff. But you know this this from this point on you're gonna see a lot more things and a lot more me being active on social media and online and just being places and doing things you know what i'm saying because you know for a while i kind of was i was kind of done with music as well so i i understand what people mean when they like it jade you a little bit man i'm tired yeah yeah you get tired of it like it'll suck it'll suck the life out of you like imagine if you were passionate about creating you get to the spot or the space where you get to be a creative and then all your creative juices is sucked out of you, <laughs> yo, by the industry. Contracts and scams and dirty lawyers and all sorts of shit. Yeah. Nah, I can't hear you, bro. Yeah, we can't hear you. Yo, I'ma tell you, there's one, yo, there's one person we left out for New Jersey too, who uh, who arguably may be the best from Jersey. Yeah. Oh, I'm back like this, bro. You Hello? Can hear us? Yeah, yeah I, I was just saying, there's one person we left out who arguably may be the best from Jersey, Lauren Hill. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Lauren Hill. Yeah, yeah, I'm bugging. Hell, bugging. Yeah, Lauren Hill. Man, so everybody, we appreciate you for pulling up, tuning into the No Ideas original podcast. Chop, yo, you, you my dude, you, you gave us a master class. Today in in the industry. This is a great dialogue. I appreciate you, bro. Appreciate you for having me, brother. Yo, everybody, make sure you tune in next week to the No Ideas Original Podcast. Salute everybody. Have a good night. Chop, hang out behind the scenes. I want to build with you. All right, definitely.